Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. We're in the book of Philippians, and last week we learned three things that Paul helped us to find joy on the journey. This is part two of the series, and there's three things that we talked about last week, joy on the journey. First of all, Paul, the apostle, had a heart of thanksgiving. He said, if you want to have joy, you got to be people that are thankful. Amen? Number two, there's a confidence. I'm confident, he said, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to carry it on to completion. That's another thing of joy, right? Also, then there comes affection. He said, we should have affection for one another, loving each other, longing for each other. But this is a joy chapter in a joy book to the Philippian believers, to us today, But today, I want to, as we begin, Paul talks about adversity and the trouble that is happening. I don't know how many of you are going through some kind of difficulty or adversity today, but if you are, I want you just to lean in and and learn from this word today what God's word has to say to us as we're going through the struggles of life. How many of you know this, that your perspective in times of difficulty make all the difference? Isn't that true? Your perspective and what you're going through makes all the difference today in the world. And so our text tells us how Paul responds to a difficult experience in his life, this season that he's going through, and we learn from these verses Paul's perspective on adversity that will help us focus on what we have not on what we lack. You know, a lot of the problems in our life come and we lack joy because we're focused so much on what we lack rather than what we have. Paul's bringing us back to the right perspective that you and I have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? We are blessed. And so this second part on the joy for living for Christ today that Paul talks about, you know, there's an upside when you're going through adversity. I want you to think about this. There's an upside in your struggle and your adversity today. The first thing he talks about, adversity opens new doors for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The word advanced is a military term that refers to the movement of an army into enemy territory. As soldiers moved in, as they moved forward, they cleared obstacles, they opened roads, they built pontoon bridges so that the whole army can advance unhindered in their work. And Paul is saying in this, through my imprisonment, which seemed to be a setback, actually served to advance the gospel in Rome. If you think for a moment in this, the long chain of events that led to this moment of what Paul is talking about. It started in Acts chapter 21, where he went to Jerusalem to make an offering in the temple. He was there to do that, what he was called to do. Unfound rumors spread that led to a mob scene where Paul was severely beaten and would have been murdered if the authorities had not stepped in and arrested him at that moment. He went to stand trial He held for two years, they held him without bail, narrowly avoided murder, held even longer than in confinement, put on a boat with criminals, it shipwrecked, 
They were washed up on shore. Paul got bitten by a snake, then held under house arrest while rumors kept swirling, attempting to destroy and ruin him. If you've had a bad week or a bad season, just think about Paul and what he's talking to. He is saying in verse 13, that's what's happened to me. This is what took place inside of my life. And as he looks back, he sees clearly that everything happened to him for a divinely ordained purpose. All of this is now clear to me now, he says, but I couldn't talk about it before because I really didn't know about it. I only knew the bad that was happening to me. And, but Paul comes to this understanding that he is precisely where God wanted him to be. And I want you to think about that in your trouble and your adversity, whatever you're going through today, valley, whatever you want to call it, that God has you, as you are in Christ, divinely ordained in the position you are in today to do something great for him. But it comes down to your perspective and mine in the midst of our circumstance. I love how Paul judged everything in his life that he was going through by kingdom priorities and principles. Paul ran it all through that filter. And we're going to get an understanding to that filter today. I find it fascinating that he didn't even mention his own circumstances. He didn't even complain about his own imprisonment. And it's just, you know, all these things, they don't really matter. The only thing that he cares about is that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be preached and that people would come to Christ. Paul lives solely for the kingdom. And he found something good, even as he went through all the bad, even in that jail cell in Rome, he would find the purpose to rejoice in spite of it. He found this, that purpose that he was given was from God. There was a purpose at the end of the chain. Paul was being guarded by members of the elite Praetorian Guard, highly trained soldiers served as a cross between the secret service for the Caesars and army special forces. How would Paul reach them with the gospel? Well, it wouldn't work to resent, you know, go to a Colosseum and say, hey, there's a Rome for Christ crusade. That wasn't going to work here, right? Who wanted to hear a Jew from Tarsus talk about uh, some man named Jesus? Well, nobody, not in that day. But God wanted to reach the guards. So he took his best man and he was treated unjustly and arrested, sent to Rome, where he was put in jail, chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard 24 hours a day. And since they had a change into the guard every six hours, that meant Paul had a new audience four times a day, 28 times a week, over 2,900 times in two years. That's why Paul could truthfully say that the news about Christ had spread through the entire palace guard. That no doubt he had personally witnessed to hundreds, if not thousands of them during his days of confinement. The people that God wants you to reach are, first of all, the ones closest to you. And in your adversity today, the thing that you are chained to, I hope you come to the understanding of knowing this. That right there is an amazing opportunity for you to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and not get so caught up in your confinement that you lose sight why God has placed you on this earth to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. I suspect that before too long, he wasn't chained to them. They were chained to him, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? 
that they were chained to him. And a chain reaction of events began to take place. This is only something God could come up with. He says, verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. That's, that's how you and I are called to act and abide in our adversity. It's too easy to look inward. But you realize, he's saying inside of here, courage is contagious. How many of you know when you go through something, or a group of people are going through something, that your courage is contagious to other people that are around you? And in this case, Paul's courage in chains spread to the other believers who watched, who witnessed this, to the Roman soldiers, and persecution, I want you to know, inside of persecution, it can be productive. It can be productive. Even though Paul was jailed on, a, on charges, his incarceration produced a harvest of bold evangelism across the city of Rome. So how did Paul encourage his fellow believers while he was in Rome? He, he faced his difficulty with joy. He used every opportunity to speak up for Christ. He demonstrated a complete lack of fear and refused to complain or blame others. Also, he says, in my adversity, it reveals my true friends. Do you know that in adversity, your true friends will be revealed? They will come out, because this is what he says in verse 15. It, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. He says, the latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. You know, no matter how you read this, you go through this. I know I've looked at this many times, and these verses sound strange to our ears, don't they? Paul is speaking about two groups of believers in Rome. One group loves him, preaches the gospel from good motives. The other group is evidently is jealous of him, his leadership. They took advantage of his imprisonment to divide the body of Christ. They are, he's saying they're true believers in Christ who nevertheless are using, using Paul's situation as an open door to advance their own cause. They had the right message, the gospel, but preached it wrong and unworthy motives were their key. Their message was good. Their motives were bad. Their methods were questionable. You know, adversity does that. That you realize, though, inside of adversity, it makes clear who your real friends and who your true friends are and who they aren't. Also, he said, adversity proves our ultimate values. He says in verse 18, but what does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And this, this is what he's saying. He has chosen to rejoice in spite of his critics. Paul's only concern is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He says, this is my only concern. This is why I have been placed upon this earth. This is why you and I have been placed upon this earth. The gospel message should be our highest concern. And as long as people preach Christ, it doesn't matter, he says, what they say about me. Perhaps you've heard it said that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's a good point. For Paul, the main thing is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he refused to be diverted by lesser issues by how certain people thought about him or what was going on in the world. We need to be people that we keep Jesus Christ as the main message more than ever before because there's a lot of distractions trying to creep its way into the body of Christ and into the church of Lord Jesus Christ. That many people in our day are putting a pandemic and COVID above Jesus, even in the church. That shouldn't be. Distractions that are coming by the wayside cannot be higher than the highest goal of preaching who Jesus is in our lives and through our adversity in Jesus' name. Amen? You may not like that message, but that's the message of the word. Anytime you put something above Jesus and you're talking about something more than Jesus, then you have made that situation an idol in your life. Amen? Adversity, it proves our ultimate values of what is taking place on the inside, whether we choose to bow to circumstances that are around us or in us, keep the main thing. And the best leaders have committed themselves to a cause that is beyond them. They believe in the cause so much that it doesn't matter what happens, they're personally taking that on and going to live that every day. That's how Paul felt. In the end, whether his fellow believers loved him, hated him, didn't matter, only that the gospel of Christ was preached. That's an amazing attitude as you look at this. Yes, he could have gotten bitter. We can get bitter against the attacks against us. How easy to grow angry and to strike and to lash out. How natural to attack those who attack you. You know, can God put you in an office working under a grade A government certified total jerk and then work through that person to direct your life? I mean, this is what you see this. Yeah, God can use bad people to do good things and he can use flawed people to do his will. And I don't know about you, but I'm flawed. I'm flawed, but he still chooses to use me and to use you, amen? That God can speak through disagreeable people and even disreputable people. In light of Philippians 1, how should we respond to fellow believers in whom we have a genuine disagreement? And I think Paul lays it out here, and this is how he deals with it. First of all, hold your convictions graciously. I think we all should have convictions, amen? We should have those as Christians based upon God's word. But we should hold them graciously. We should have grace in our convictions. Yes, they're in us, they're firm. But then differ when you must regretfully. If you must differ in it, you must differ regretfully. And then also in all things you should love sincerely. That is the basis of God's word to us. Grace enables us to speak the truth without alienating other people who see things differently. See, that's what the world is doing today. Amen? The world is doing that. If you don't agree with me, you're out. I don't care about you. I don't even care at this moment to even witness to you, right? Sincere loves helps build bridges to those with whom we disagree. Adversity comes to us sooner or later. Isn't that true? It doesn't take you any length of time to know as you live your life that you have adversity. And so everyone in this room is either in one of these three situations. Either you're in adversity right now, or you're coming out of a hard time, right? Or you're about ready to go through hard times, and you just don't know it yet. 
And such is life this side of heaven, right? Since adversity comes to us sooner or later, we come, the only choice we have is in regard to our attitude going through it. You know, if we look at what we've lost, we will ultimately lose our faith. If that's all we're going to focus on, rather than on what we have. I pray that we would be a church to focus on what we have rather than what we've lost. That will make us more joyful people. See, Paul refused to be mastered by his circumstances. He said, no, this will not master me. What I'm going through, this won't master me. No matter how difficult or personally frustrating this might be, he resolved to see the hand of God at work in every situation so he could rejoice even while he was chained. Remember that Paul, he couldn't see the big picture until he finally arrived in Rome. Can I tell you today in your adversity that you haven't arrived at the place yet? I haven't arrived at the place yet in our Rome to see that God is working and he is moving and we think, no, God, you are nowhere to be found. I have rejected you. I don't, you maybe have lost love for God in your heart. You maybe have grown cold today, but let me tell you something. There will come a moment in time where you will have that moment where you will see God's hand divinely ordained through the circumstances and situations and you will look back and see the faithful hand of God upon your life and that he was the one that brought you out and brought you through. Amen? We can't see it when we're going through it. But Paul noticed it and understood it when he finally arrived in Rome to seize the opportunities that you and I have to preach the good news of Jesus Christ every moment of every day. His purpose was clear, it's definite, so profound that it permeated everything he did and said. And really, as you look at this, it might kind of, would be kind of called Paul's secret of, of the purpose that God had for him in his life, that God was moving even when he couldn't feel it. And so, he says, this is the adversity I've been through, but now he's gonna go in and talk about how he had joy in spite of it. There's a winning philosophy of joy that Paul had, and he says, first of all, it's my confidence. Paul's confidence. He says this in verse 18, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be in shame, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Perhaps maybe you've, you've looked at these verses and read them many times. You think, well, my deliverance, that means his expected to be his release, but that's not as what he's saying. It's not as what he means. He's not thinking about getting out of jail, but about God vindicating him, whether in chains or as a free man, the living Bible offers in addition to this, it says this, this is all going to turn out for my good. This is all going to work out in God's timing and it's gonna turn out for my good and here, here's, here's, he says what I'm depending on and I hope you catch this because this is so important. Here's what he says in this passage. Here's what I'm depending on. There's two things. Number one, the prayers of his friends. There, there's a prayer of people that are around you and prayers of friends that's gonna help you get through not only what you're going through, but in the days ahead. 
On, on Wednesday nights, I hope that you can come and join us 6.30 to 7.30 right here in the sanctuary. Our Crave student ministry is going on at the same time for our students that you can come and be a part of this one hour of prayer that we are praying through needs. And if you need prayer, we'll pray for you. But Paul's saying, listen, I could not get through this if it weren't for the prayer of my friends that are with me. And then second of all, he says, it's the work of the Holy Spirit on my behalf. That the Spirit of God is working in me even though I'm in confinement and even though I am in prison. Note the phrase, whether by life or death. This is an amazing success story. He wasn't afraid to die. Can you say the same thing today? So many of us worry about our future, what's going to happen to us. It could be an accident. It could be an illness, a disease. All of the fears that try to come and grip our heart, there's probably no greater fear than the fear of death, right? That somehow Paul has been completely delivered from an inner dread over what might happen tomorrow. He's been delivered of that. He's come to the place where he says this, the only thing that matters is what, that Christ would be magnified in me. And it doesn't matter whether I live or whether I die, Christ will still be magnified. Not, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of it. See, what happens when you're not afraid to die is you're, you're, you're able then to live your life in a way that truly magnifies Jesus. You say, I'm not afraid to die. What happens is you're, you now are free to focus on the things that really matter. You know, then, you know, where you were indifferent to your fate, you're saying, no, no, listen, I'm utterly consumed with God's will for my life, whether in life or in death. Maybe you recognize the names of Nate Saint and Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Jim Elliott. But in 1955, these five young men, all under the age of 35, gathered in Ecuador with a vision of reaching a tribe of Indians called the Akas, and that word means savage, a name given to them by other tribes who lived deep in the rainforest in Ecuador, no one ever presented the gospel to them before. These five young missionaries, all highly trained, devoted to God, began praying about ways to make contact with this tribe. In September, they began flying over the Aka village, lowering a pot containing gifts for, their Indians, uh, for the Indian Akas. And eventually, the Akas took the gifts, replaced them with simple gifts of their own. And in January 1956, the five men decided that it was time to come and make contact with this tribe. And after much prayer, they established a base camp on a sandy beach of the Caray River. On January 8th, 1956, at about 3.30, they were speared to death by the Indians who mistakenly thought they'd come to hurt them. The news absolutely shocked the world. It rippled across the nation. Many people wondered how young men with so much promise could waste their lives that way. When the journals of Jim Elliott were published several years later, they were found to contain the sentence, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And the Apostle Paul would agree. Once you decide that your life won't last forever, you are free to invest it in a greater cause than you could ever do alone. You give up which you can't keep so that in the end, you will gain what you can never lose, whether by life or death. Paul says, listen, 
Also, the confession. I have a confession, Philippians 1.21, that you've heard so many times, read so many times, and probably if you've been in church anytime, you can say this by heart. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Many of us have learned this. Many of us know it well. Before we kind of go on today, how would you complete the following sentence? For to me, to live is... And you fill in the blank for your life today. You answer that at your current state of your conviction this morning. For to me, to live is what? So the word or phrase that you put in there reveals a lot about where we're headed and what God is doing. If your name is LeBron James, you say, well, it's basketball. Or Aaron Rodgers, it's touchdowns, winning championships. Maybe as a parent today, you're just saying, listen, for me to live is just to have patience one more day or for my kids to live one more day. (laughs) Right. But don't miss the point. No one leaves the sentence blank. You fill it every day with how you live. Everyone finishes it with something. If you don't fill the blank with Christ, what do you put there? And Paul says, listen, what I'm gonna put there in the confession of my faith is for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And here, this is Paul's personal mission statement. And you understand this is that how could Paul go and turn the world upside down even when he's inside of a prison or or in wherever he went? A Christian understands that Christ is his life and that dying is gain. Christ is life. Christ transforms life and Christ transcends life. So how did Paul survive and thrive in a Roman jail? He's saying, listen, Hey, life is, life is, life's good. Life's wonderful. And it's going to get better. That's what he's saying. The word gain is a monetary term that means to make a profit or an investment. And instead of complaining about his current situation, he rejoices that even in chains, he's experienced the power of Jesus Christ in his life. And when he dies, when he dies, his current wonderful life will get even better. How could Paul even say this? It's because for Paul, death meant putting him in a cemetery. No, it's more than that. It ushered him into a sanctuary. He he knew that he would enter the presence of Christ at that moment. And so that he would truly gain what? And I just want us just to think about what gaining really means. Because I think we have trouble sometimes thinking about what our death ultimately will be gaining. Well, also, you got to understand we're going to be losing some things. And that's okay too. We lose everything that we don't need. We lose the world, we lose the flesh, and the devil. We lose our trials, our troubles, our tears, our fears, and our weaknesses. Think about that. We keep everything though that matters. We keep our personality, our identity, our knowledge of all that is good, but also that we gain what we never had before. We gain the absolute presence of the Lord. We gain heaven, we gain the saints, we gain the angels, the presence of God in Jesus himself. That's a lot to be gained, amen? And you get to lose all the stuff that really doesn't matter. That's so true. Paul helps us in this to understand what really matters in your life. You come to this word gain and you quickly understand, here's Paul running it through the filter of kingdom principles. How do you feel today about death? Do you fear death? You shouldn't if you're a believer in Christ. Death is the vehicle that takes you home to God. 
And you got to understand that death cannot touch you until God is through with you. Death cannot touch you until God is through with you. You cannot die and will not die until the appointed moment comes that God has ordained. Truly, the death of a young person brings many questions that only God can answer. But this is true. If a young person dies in the Christian faith, that young person has completed the life that God intended for them. Right? What seems to be a mistake to us is never a mistake in God's divine plan. And then he says, you know what? Also, to have joy, there comes conflict. Paul's conflict, 22 and 23. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Some people want to die because they hate this life. Paul was ready and willing to die because he looked forward to life with Christ in heaven. For him, and this is the imagery that you see through the life of Paul. The imagery is, for him, death would be like a ship pulling up anchor, sailing out of the harbor unto a new destination. It would be like an army breaking camp, striking the tents, and moving to a new location. Paul understood that for the Christian, death is nothing more than a change of address from where we are today. Too many people, too many people invest their time and energy in the things that won't last for two weeks or even two years, much less outlast their eternal life. Remember, that the only two things that will last forever is number one, the word of God, because the Bible says the word of the Lord will last and stand forever. God's word will last forever. Even in heaven, you're gonna have the word of God. Amen? Yeah. Number two, it's those relationships in Christ that you will have with you forever. So today, if you're really wondering how to live your life, if you're struggling today with, wow, what do I really need to focus on? The apostle Paul says, number one, focus on the word of God because it does not change. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the what? Word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Number two, it's those that are around us, the Christians, people that will go on to that new address with us. That's why it's so important to preach the good news of Jesus Christ because we want to bring as many people into the new address in the future. Amen? We have a call to preach the good news of the gospel. And then Paul says, listen, there's a conviction that I have. He says in verse 24, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. So, but through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. And Paul's saying, listen, in the end, he's concluded that he wouldn't die just yet, but would be spared so that he could minister to the Philippians. Even though he preferred to die so that he could see Christ, he put aside his own preferences for the good of others. And here's what he's saying. Paul say, says this, I can't lose either way. This, I can't lose. If I die, gain for me. 
If I live, gain for you. Either way. I mean, how do you stop a person that has this type of conviction and heart in their life? How do you stop somebody? It's impossible. You can't. Go ahead and kill him. He'll die with a smile on his face. Put him in prison. He'll preach to the guards. Put him in jail at midnight. He's just going to start singing because he does that in Acts. Run him out of town. He's just going to go down the road, plant another church in the next village. Stone him. He'll use the rocks to build a sanctuary. You can't stop a person like that. Amen? That's our life in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. This is how you win. Either side is okay. God, whatever you choose for me. If he was above the grass, he'd minister to many people. If he was below the grass, he'd be in heaven with Jesus. But both is gain. Going back to these five men as missionaries that gave their life to go after this tribe in Ecuador. In 1956, we realized at that time it seemed to be a tragedy with no redeeming purpose. What has happened as a result of that, well, within a few years, over 1,000 new missionaries went to the field as a result of their martyrdom. Soon, the Indian Bible schools in Ecuador were filled to overflowing with native believers desiring to learn God's word. Rachel Saint, Elizabeth Elliott, widows of Nate Saint, and Jim Elliott moved into an Aka village to begin the process of Bible translation. Nine years later, two of the Akas who helped kill the five missionaries had come to Christ and baptized Kathy and Steve Saint, daughter and son of Nate Saint. A flourishing church was established among the Akas and other neighboring tribes. And in 1995, Steve Saint moved back among the Akas to live with them at their request. And this story goes on and on and on because the ripple effect, this is no doubt part of the fruit Paul speaks about in this text. That either way, it's gain. That truly the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Those men had no idea of the thousands of lives that would be changed because of their death on a sandy beach in a remote jungle. They only knew this. God's called us to reach the Akas, and they had to obey the message of God. Was it worth it? What do you think they would say? I think we probably can understand that it's the same answer that was given by Paul. Our only desire is to magnify Christ and reach the world for him. Whether we do that by life or death makes no difference at all. How can you and I face death? Well, not with defiance. Well, not in desperation. But with simple, childlike trust. That when the death, time of your death arrives, put your hand in God's hand and let him guide you safely home. Three very fast, simple applications from this message today. Number one. Do what God gives you to do today. What has God given you to do today? Don't be worried about tomorrow. What has he told you to do today at this moment? Go do it. Go do it. I've said once again, I think we make our lives in Christ way too complex. 
You have to go do it. Number two, trust God with your tomorrow. Trust God with tomorrow. What is he going to do? We'll trust him. We don't know. And third, death when it comes will be a great gain for you and for me. A great gain. A great gain for you and me. Whether by life or whether by death. So Paul brings us to this point here today to bring us understand inside of this that you and I are called to go do and be obedient with what God's given us to do at this moment, at this hour. He's given you the power and the ability to do it. So will you be obedient today and do it? As you come today, you say, you know what? I don't know Christ and I, and I don't know him. And maybe as you look at this, we say there's kind of two philosophies of life. You can say with the apostle Paul, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you're already there. And you're like, yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm at peace with that today. Or, or the other thing is what the world says today. Here's what the world is screaming. To me, to live is self and to die is loss. That's what the world is screaming. That's what the world wants out there today. That's all that they desire. But Paul says, I have real freedom when I live upon this earth in a jail cell or wherever it may be that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I pray that that would be the testimony of your heart today, here, in person, online, wherever you are at today, that today you have an opportunity to change your address for eternity. And as you come today and you say, listen, I want to change my address because the address where I'm at is headed towards hell. But you can change your address today so that when the time comes, you're going to pick up the anchors and the ship's going to go out into the harbor and you're going to be headed to a new location in Christ Jesus. And it's eternal home. Remember, the only two things that last, the word of God, the believers that are around you, and that we would help convince others that do not know him, even in our adversity today, keep preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop teaching. Don't stop loving other people into the kingdom of God. Amen? So today, maybe you're here ready to make a choice. I would love for you to make a choice today to come to Christ, because this is a great opportunity. This is a great moment. We've sung about how great God is. We've sung about the joy and the joy of the Lord that is our strength that the Apostle Paul is getting us to and wanting us to understand today. I hope you, you get this and I hope you understand that today. Today is a day with the power of your confession in your mouth to change your address, your spiritual, your eternal address today by saying, Christ, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from my unrighteousness. I accept you as the Lord and Savior of my life from this day forward, I will follow you. If you're here today and those words strike you as truth in your spirit and you say, I want that, I want to come, I want to find Christ today, can I see your hands across this place? Come on, thank you for that hand. Anyone else? I see that hand over here on my left. Anyone else in this place? The back to the front, I see that hand in the balcony. Anyone else today? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every hand that's been raised. And Lord, they have chosen in this moment to say to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That Lord, I thank you, God, that we would choose to live for the things that truly matter. 
Father, I thank you for the change of spiritual address for those that are inside of this room or the person that is online today that's chosen to follow you, that, Lord, you have called them today. Lord Jesus, to stop living for self and start living for you and start living for what really matters. And also, I pray for those of us that are inside of this room that, Lord, we wonder what we should focus on today. God, may we focus on your word and may we focus on people. Focus on those that are lost, even adversity, even in the world that we live in, Lord, today. God, that is living for themselves. Help us to live for you and to preach the gospel message with boldness in this hour and not be afraid to tell other people about your love and your death and your burial and your resurrection for us, I pray. In these days, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Can you give Jesus thanks for those that came to Christ? Father, we thank you today, Lord, and we love you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.